For those of you who are just joining us here today, uh, we are in a series that we're actually finishing next week that we have simply entitled Heaven on Earth. And in this series, we have been exploring the spiritual discipline of prayer, and we're looking at prayer through the lens of the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, the Lord's Prayer. It never occurred to Jesus that his disciples would not pray. He expected them to pray, and he taught them how to pray in this Lord's Prayer. Now, again, I want to remind you that as Jesus taught them to pray the Lord's Prayer, he wasn't saying, this is the only prayer that you pray. He wasn't saying that you pray this prayer verbatim. What he was saying is, this is a model prayer. Uh, that your prayers should sound something like this. That you should be praying along these lines. That this is the prayer that God is attentive to. This is the prayer that God hears. There are a lot of people that talk to God, but very few people actually pray. And that has everything to do with the state of our heart before Him. And the Lord made that very clear. And so I want you to know that even though we memorize this prayer, and it's all right to put it on the end of your prayer, the idea here is that it was a model, and that's why we're studying it, to make sure that we understand completely what Jesus was saying. Now, we have been studying this through Matthew chapter 6, so if you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to open them with me to Matthew chapter 6. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus pauses to talk about prayer and fasting and the heart of those that God hears when they cry out to Him. And again, we're looking at this through the old King James Version, not because we think that it's the best translation, but just because those who have uh, memorized the Lord's Prayer have memorized it out of the old King James. So that's why we're studying it out of the old King James right now. It's Matthew chapter 6. We're going to begin with verse number 8. It says, Be not ye therefore like unto them, For your Father knoweth what things ye need of before ye ask Him. After this manner, or along these lines, that's what it literally means, therefore pray ye, and I want you to pray this with me. We've been doing this every week. Read along with me. Read it so loud that the person next to you thinks you're annoying, okay? Say it with me. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. Give the Lord praise one more time here this morning. All right, as Jesus teaches us to pray, he says all prayer begins with addressing the person of prayer, our Father who art in heaven. That address is then followed by seven petitions or seven requests. We've already looked at five of them. We're going to finish those requests here today, looking at the sixth and the seventh one, but we've covered five already. We've, we've started with, hallowed be thy name. That is not a, a statement or a declaration, though it could be. It is actually a, cre- a request. We're requesting, Lord, may your name be hallowed. May your name be elevated in our lives. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread And then last week, Pastor Joe looked at it with you. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, I'm not going to take any time to review those because next week we're going to finish this and I'll probably spend a little more time next week reviewing where we've already been. It's a longer series and I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page. So I'll probably spend a little more time with it next week, but today I want to get right into the final two requests. 
And we're going to study them together. It's like your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Two different requests, but they needed to be studied together. The same with these last two. You can't really look at one without looking at the other because they shed light on one another. So we're going to look at both of these together. And that is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, before we dig into this this morning, I want to deal with the elephant in the room, okay? This is, perhaps, one of the most confusing scriptures in the Bible, Because after all, Jesus is teaching us to pray to the Father in heaven, lead us not into temptation. That's confusing. Um, It bears a question, and that would be, do I really have to pray this? Do I really have to pray, Father, lead me not into temptation? And if I do have to pray that, why would I have to pray it? Why would I have to ask God not to lead me into temptation? It can be very confusing. In fact, it is so confusing that many of you will remember back in December, the Pope actually commissioned the altering of this verse in the Catholic Bible, citing a poor translation. Well, with all due respect to the Pope, It is not a poor translation. That is exactly what Jesus said 2,000 years ago. No matter how uncomfortable we might be with it, and no matter how much maneuvering we might make to try and explain it away, the reality is, 2,000 years ago, Jesus looked at all of his followers and said, when you pray, pray, lead me not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. Now, if you think that's confusing, let me just tell you, you ain't seen nothing yet. Turn to him and say, turn to your neighbor and tell him, you ain't seen nothing yet, okay? Because it's even more confusing than that. I don't want to mess with your head this morning, but it actually gets more confusing. Because Jesus taught us, lead us not into temptation, But in James 1 and verse number 13, we are told God cannot tempt anyone. But then in that same verse, James 1 and verse 13, James also tells us that God cannot be tempted by evil. But in Psalm 78 and verse 41, we read this. Yes, again and again, they, speaking of Israel, tempted God. So when you look at all of these verses... They're very confusing. In fact, some would look at it and say they're contradictory. These verses actually contradict one another. And in fact, there are many skeptics that have used these verses and other verses like them to actually shipwreck the faith of many naive believers who have never taken the time to study out the Word of God. They'll pull these scriptures out and they'll say, See, the Bible contradicts itself. But we know that the Bible does not contradict itself. We always start from that position that God would never contradict himself. So when we read verses that seem to contradict themselves, we have to study them. We have to dig down a little deeper to find out exactly what God is saying. And I believe that God left difficult portions of Scripture in the Bible to prompt us to study, to really dig it out, not to sit around and be confused. So that's what I did several weeks ago. I was trying to get everything ready before I went away on a little vacation. And so I was in my office and I was studying these verses, primarily the book of James there, James 1. And I'm studying these these uh, two different words because there's two different words for temptation that are used in James chapter 1. And so I'm looking at them and I'm looking at the various shades and nuances of both of those words and I'm trying to come up with a creative way of sharing those differences with you when all of a sudden, and I believe it was the Lord, but the thought occurred to me, you know, Kurt, temptation is difficult and challenging enough without you making it even more challenging by trying to impress people with Greek words. I mean, let's be honest. When you're being tempted, are you really going to think, now the Greek word here is, no. When you're being tempted, the only thing you're thinking is, how do I overcome? 
I don't want to fall into temptation. When you're being tempted, you're not going to remember all the notes I give you today. But I'm praying that something will click within you so that when you are tempted the next time, that you will pause for a moment and remember that greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. In Jesus' mighty name. Yeah, come on, give God the praise for that this morning. So my job here today is to try and simplify this. To make it as simple as I possibly can so that when temptation comes, you will know exactly what is happening and how to overcome through Jesus Christ, your Lord and your Savior. There are two different words that are used for temptation in James chapter 1. Two different Greek words. And they have some differences. But the differences between those two words are so insignificant that they do not bear any discussion here this morning. The basic idea of those words for temptation in the language of Paul's day was simply a test. For all that we make of temptation, like let's be honest, when we hear the word temptation, we shudder. But for all that we make for temptation, it really comes down to a test. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, it's just a test. It is only a test. (laughs) That's what it is. A temptation is a test. In fact, the actual word for temptation in the Greek language means An experiment. I love that word. It's an experiment. It is a trial. It is an attempt to prove. It is a trial that is meant to prove man's fidelity, his integrity, and his virtue. So for all that we make of temptation, all that it really is, is an experiment that is being run on your heart to prove your fidelity your integrity, and your virtue or your morality before Almighty God. Here's something that's interesting. I didn't know this until I started digging it out a little bit. Do you know that not one time in any of those Greek words for temptation is it ever used with a negative connotation? It is completely neutral. Again, we think of temptation as like, oh, it's so wicked, it's evil. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that the temptation is a test, and it's neutral. It's not moral. It's not immoral. It is neutral. It's just a test. There's nothing virtuous about a professor giving a test. There's nothing wicked about a professor giving a test. It's a test. It's just there to verify what you've learned up to this point. That's all it is. And that's what we have to realize. A temptation is a test or an experiment that is run upon each and every one of us to test the reality of our confession of faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So understand that that is the basic idea. Whenever you read the word temptation in the Bible, it is speaking of a test, of an experiment that is being run on your life to prove the fidelity, the integrity, and the virtue of your life. Now, bear with me for a moment. James tells us that God cannot be tempted, but he qualifies it. He cannot be tempted by evil. Because the essential nature of God is holy, God cannot be tempted by evil. You cannot tempt God to do evil because he's holy. But here's what's interesting. God commands every follower to be holy as he is holy. So not only can God not be tempted by evil, but God cannot tempt you to do evil either. Can I hear a better amen than that? Understand that. Because a lot of people blame God. Why did God allow me to be tempted in this way? You know, all of this craziness. The Bible makes it very clear. God cannot be tempted by evil. Nor will he ever tempt you to do evil either. So don't blame him. But we do have to deal with that verse in Psalm 78 that says they tested or they tempted him again and again and again. Israel. In that sense... He's not talking about being tempted to do evil, 
They were testing him to see if he was faithful. They were testing God because they had never had to really God had never really demonstrated his faithfulness to them. They they were still trying to, to, to figure this out as Moses was leading them out into the wilderness. And so they tested God and God proved himself to be faithful in the wilderness over and over again because another essential character of God is that he is unchangeable. He is faithful. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever in Jesus' mighty name, okay? God doesn't mind us testing him. In fact, there are verses that actually say God invites us to test him. Most notably would be Malachi 3 and verse number 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Listen to this. And try me now in this. Same word, test. Okay, Try me now in this, says the Lord. Of hosts, if I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. The Lord says, hey, test me in this. Just see if I'm faithful. Bring your tithe, bring your offering into the storehouse and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour upon you a blessing that you can't even contain for the glory and for the honor of Almighty God. So God has no problem with you and I reading the Bible and saying, you know what, Lord, I'm going to take you at your word. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to obey you. God does not like it at all when we try to manipulate him and we say things like, you know, if you love me, then you will do this for me. And if you don't, then I guess you don't love me. That's manipulation. But God has no problem with you reading the Bible and saying, you know what? I'm going to prove you to be faithful, God. I'm going to obey your word and I'm going to see the goodness of God in my life in Jesus' mighty name. So that is perfectly acceptable to God. So understand, that's how we reconcile those verses. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor would he tempt us to do evil, because God is holy, and he commands us to be holy as he is holy. But, it is consistent with God's nature to be tested, so that he can prove himself to be faithful. So that means, it would also be consistent with God's nature to test us. Even though God would never tempt us to do evil, James makes it very clear that God will test our faith. In verse number 2, this is James chapter 1, verse number 2, he says, My brethren, count it all, say this word with me, joy. Say it with more joy, okay? (laughs) Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Did you hear that? Powerful words. What James is telling us in no uncertain terms is that God will lead us into various trials in order to test our faith or to test our confidence in Almighty God. And He will do that to see if we are patient. That we will patiently endure. And what it means is that I won't take matters into my own hands. I won't do what is convenient for me. But I'm going to stand still and I'm going to see the salvation of God. That I'm going to wait for God to make a way where there seems to be no other way. That's where the patience comes in. You know, we want faith to work right now. But I'm going to tell you, faith is enduring that test no matter how difficult it may be, and saying, you know what, I'm going to stand still, and somehow God is going to make a way where there seems to be no other way in Jesus' mighty name. Okay? Now, listen, as we allow patience to have its perfect work, James says, or we let it do what God intended it to do, then we are made perfect, 
We are made complete. We lack nothing, i.e., we graduate. That literally there is a graduation that comes at the end of every test and trial that we overcome for the glory and the honor of Almighty God. I love the wording there in verse number 12. He says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. He says, they endure that temptation and they are proving themselves to be faithful and they receive the crown. There is that idea of graduating, that I can't graduate from one level of faith to another until I have passed the test. Until I have passed the various trials of my life in Jesus' name. Do you know who modeled that for us? Jesus himself. Listen to this. In Luke chapter 4, verse number 1, Jesus has just been baptized in water. The Holy Spirit has come upon him. The Father has said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, this is Luke 4, verse number 1, returned from the Jordan, listen to this, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. He was led by the Spirit into a wilderness to be tempted. But listen to verse 13. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him, Jesus, until an opportune time. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. I've always loved this verse. Did you notice the change that took place? Jesus goes into the wilderness filled with the Holy Spirit... But he comes out of the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's at this point that Jesus actually begins his earthly ministry. He had never preached a message. He had not healed anyone up until this moment. But now God entrusted that ministry with him. And the only difference between when he went in and when he came out was the test. But he proved himself true in the test, and then God gave to him that ministry responsibility. Here's the problem with the church today. We want promotion without being proved first. We all want power, but we don't want to go through the test. But you can't graduate until you take the test, and not only take it, but pass it as well in Jesus' name. We have got to be a people that are comfortable with the various tests, realizing that with every test, there is a promotion on the other side in Jesus' mighty name. Can I get a better amen than that? You know, Pastor Josh was up here a while ago talking about taking your next step. And some of you, God wants to take you deeper, but you just are fighting it because you will not take the test. And when you do, you keep failing it. And God says, I can't promote you until I know I can trust you. You know, I can't remember. When you get 52, you start losing, like, where all this stuff happened, okay? And I can't remember exactly when it was. But I I would assume it was somewhere around second or third grade, right in there, that I did my swimming lessons. And I couldn't wait for my swimming lessons because I love the water. I always have. I love swimming. I, I enjoy it even to this day. And um, I couldn't wait. And I remember it vividly. I was there with some classmates. Uh, the town pool was maybe 100 yards from my house. I could walk there. And my, my uh, lessons were in the morning. My mother and father worked. My mother part-time. And she was in the day. And my classes were in the day. So I just walked over for my classes every morning, and I enjoyed it. We got the boards out and the kicking exercises, and I was progressing well. And then one day, the swimming instructor said, okay, class, now tomorrow we're going to go to the deep end, and eventually we're going to go off the diving board. Well, that was it for me. I had no idea where it came from, but I was scared to death of the deep end. I, I don't know where it came from. I, I don't remember ever having an accident in the water or, you know, like almost drowning. I don't remember any of that, but I was terrified. So I stopped going. That was the end of my training. I, I was done because I didn't want to go. And my mom and dad didn't know 
because my mom worked half the day. And so she just assumed I was still going to my classes. Now, what's interesting is I went to the pool every day. I just stayed in the shallow end. I kept working and and exercising, and I became a pretty good swimmer, I would say. But I never got into the deep end. Well, eventually, my mom and dad found out. And my dad tried to prompt me, but I just would not do it. I just would not go into that deep end. Well, one night, this maybe was a year later, my mom and dad went with another couple from our church to the adult swim night. It was on Tuesday night. And you could go as a child if your parents were there. And so I went. I was the only child that was there. But I didn't care. I loved the water. And my dad talked to the lifeguard that was on duty, and he was over the whole swimming program in our little town. A very well-known athlete in our area. Um, He since has passed away, but Andy Palmer was a long-distance runner. He tried out for the Olympics, ran the Boston Marathon a number of times. Just a really super guy. And my dad was telling him my situation. I'll never forget this. Andy came over, and he said, Kurt, you come with me for a minute. And he took me over into the shallow end, and he said, let's do this. And so we did a couple of exercises together. I think he wanted to know how good of a swimmer I was at that point, but he did a few exercises with me. When he was done that, he said, now let's go to the middle of the pool. So we went out to the middle of the pool, and I did some exercises with him there. And then he took me to the deep end of the pool. I get emotional when I think of this. But it took me to the deep end. And he did some more exercises. Needless to say, in less than an hour, in less than an hour, he not only helped me overcome my fear of the deep end, but I was diving off the diving board in less than an hour. But he didn't just take me to the deep end. He started in the shallow waters, and then midwaters, and then the deep end, and then on to the diving board, because he wanted to prove me at every level. Can I just tell you, your Father in heaven wants to take you into deep waters. He wants to take you where you're in over your head, where you can't touch the bottom, where you've got to rely on Him completely. But He's got to prove you at every level. So stop resisting the times of trials and temptations and testings because God is doing a greater work in your life in Jesus mighty name come on everybody give God the praise for that don't fight him okay now with that here's what's interesting what God uses to test our faith in order to produce patience Satan uses to tempt our flesh in order to plunder our lives. We know that Satan has come for no other reason but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so what's so interesting, fascinating, if you will, is that what God uses to test our faith in order to produce patience, the enemy will use to tempt our flesh or our desires in order to steal, to kill, and destroy. This is a quarter Okay, it's one quarter, but there's a head side and there's a tail side, but it's one quarter. There is one test, but God uses the test to test your faith in him. Satan uses it to tempt your flesh, to draw you away from the Lord and to steal, to kill and destroy. Listen to what James says. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted, listen to this, when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Now, listen to what he... You notice he doesn't mention the devil at all. At all. Now, we're going to talk about him, but understand, he only has power that you give him. Saying he can't come in and just wreak havoc on your life. You have to give him permission, okay? God will lead us into trials in order to test our faith, 
But the enemy will use the exact same circumstances to tempt our desires, our wants, and draw us away from trusting in the Lord. That's how this all works, folks. Okay, and that's, you know, the, the dichotomy here is, is that on the one hand, God is testing my faith to see if I will remain true to him and patiently endure the test. But Satan is using the exact same circumstances to appeal to my desires, to my appetites, to my wants, so that I'll take matters into my own hands and not trust my God. Listen, I don't have time to go through a whole lot of illustrations of this, so let me offer one And then hopefully as you see it in one, you'll be able to apply it to every situation in your life because it's the same situation, okay? It never changes. The enemy has never changed his tactics. It's the same way. The Lord may allow your marriage to go through a very rough and difficult time. Now, God doesn't make your marriage rough and difficult. Come on, can I hear a better amen than that? Okay, because God would never tempt you to do evil. So God does not sabotage your life in that way to test you. It's not that kind of a thing. There's a difference between God making that happen and God allowing that to happen. And God says, I will allow your marriage at times to go through a very difficult and rough time in order to test your faith. Do you trust me? You know, will you hold on and let me make a way where there seems to be no other way? He'll allow that. But the enemy will use that difficult marriage to appeal to your desires so that he can draw you away from the Lord and from your marriage vows. He's the one that says, well, you know, if he was a better husband, if she was a better wife, then you wouldn't have to go get a divorce. You wouldn't have to entertain that flirtation at the office. If they were a better spouse to you, then, then, you, would, uh, then you wouldn't have to take matters in your own hands. He's appealing to those desires. What God is saying is, can you crucify those desires? And can you trust me that even when your needs are not being met, I'm all that you ever need. That's how it's working. And it doesn't matter what you're talking about today. You're talking about dating someone that's not saved. Marrying someone that's not saved. If you're talking about cheating on an exam. Whatever it is that you want to fill in the blanks there with. When you're staring at a computer screen and there is something already typed in and you are one second away from pushing enter and you've got to make a decision. You've got to realize what's happening in that moment. Do you trust God? Can I say no and believe that God is all that I need? Or am I going to take matters in my own hands and live for my desires and for my wants? See, this is why Paul says that we have to crucify our flesh daily. Every day you got to get up and just kill yourself. (laughs) Spiritually, spiritually, okay? you got to just crucify your appetites, your desires, your wants, and say, I live for the glory of God. This is why, this is why, now you're starting to see this all fall into place. Jesus says, long before you pray for yourself... I want you to pray, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want you to mortify, crucify your flesh, your wants, your desires, your appetites, and live for the glory and for the honor of God. Okay? So, here it is in a nutshell. The Lord allows us to be tested to perfect us. Satan tempts us to plunder our lives. He wants to steal, he wants to kill, and he wants to destroy. Okay. Now, before I go back to the prayer, I still need to cover one more portion of Scripture, and I'd love to avoid this because I don't want to take this long, but I have to show you this verse. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It begins with verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. 
No temptation has overtaken you except such is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Now, there are several things you need to know about temptation from that verse. And I'm going to just give them to you bullet point really quick, all right? Write these down. Put them someplace where you will never forget it. Number one, tests cannot be tested out of. Tests cannot be tested out of. It says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Okay? Remember in college, every once in a while you'd have a professor that would say, look, I know some of you know this material. You took a college course in high school. I will give you a test, and if you pass the test, you can test out of this class. Okay, remember those days? That'll never happen in the kingdom of God, okay? There's not going to be a test to end all tests. Wouldn't it be great? If you just, at, at 52, you just knew you'll never be tested again. It would be great to test out of your test. Can I tell you, you're going to be tested for the rest of your life. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you're going to be tested the rest of your life. Doesn't that just put a spring in your step? <laughs> you're going to be tested the rest of your life. And that's why he said, he says, Look, let those of you who think you stand, take heed lest you fall. Don't ever let these words come out of your mouth. I could never do that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can do that, okay? When you think you're standing in your own strength, you're going to fall. Okay? Tests cannot be tested out of. Number two, number two, tests are common to all believers. Tests are common to all believers. He says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Common to man. Everyone is tempted. Everyone is tested. Everyone. Okay? The enemy would love to isolate you from everyone else. He would love you to believe that you are the exception. No one's ever been tempted like me. Like, my circumstances are unique. No one's ever gone through what I'm going through. Can I just tell you? There's about 10,000 years of human history. Somewhere, at some place, at some time, someone went through exactly what you went through, and they had to overcome the same way you have to overcome through Jesus Christ and the power of His Holy Spirit. So don't ever think... That what you're going through is unique. Someone's gone through it as well. In Jesus' name. Number three. Tests reveal God's faithfulness. Tests reveal God's faithfulness. He says, but God is faithful. But God is faithful. Now listen, if I only knew that God was faithful when everything was good in my life, then I'd have no confidence that he's going to be faithful when everything's falling apart. By allowing controlled tests in my life, God gets to demonstrate that he's not only the God of my triumphs, but he is the God of my tests and my trials as well. In Jesus' name. So if you want to know that God is faithful, you've got to be willing to pass through. Seasons of tests and trials, okay? Number four, tests are suited to your growth in the Lord. Tests are suited to your growth in the Lord who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. God knows where all of us are in our faith journey and has promised, I will never allow you to be tempted or tested beyond what you are able to bear. Now, for some of you, that makes you angry because you thought you were further ahead in the Lord than you are. For others of you, it's a cause of rejoicing because you didn't think you were that strong, but through the last test, you didn't stumble. And you think, wow, to God be the glory. Now, it's not a bragging right on our part, but it's joy to know that maybe two years ago, that same circumstance would have wiped me out. But this time, this time I made it in Jesus' mighty name. That's the goodness of God, all right? Number five, 
Tests always come with an escape. Tests always come with an escape. That's good news. So no matter how you're being tested, it always comes with an escape. He says, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Okay, there's always an escape. Whenever I hear people that will say, and I do, I hear this from time, you don't understand, Pastor Kurt, there was no other option. There was nothing else I can do. Can I just tell you, there's always an alternative to sinning. There's always an alternative to sinning. You may not have looked for it. You may have never come and asked anyone for counsel. But there's always a way of escape. Now listen, that doesn't mean you're not going to have to go through the test. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego still had to go into the furnace. David still had to fight Goliath. You're still going to have to go through the test, but God will make a way through the test in Jesus' name. You'll escape, okay? And then, and then finally, number six, number six, tests are sometimes unnecessary. You know, they're sometimes unnecessary. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. A lot of us, we're not led by the Spirit, we're led by our desires. He says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. You know what he was basically saying to them? You got enough tests and trials in life, let alone making it worse by not willing, to, not being willing to let go of things that keep you stumbling. Remember Jesus said, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. If your right eye offends you, gouge it out. He says, it's better for you to enter into the kingdom of heaven maimed than for you to spend eternity in hell because you would not flee from youthful lust. Folks, you listen to me today. You got enough tests and trials in life, let alone making it worse because you won't flee from sin. Listen, only God knows what you're able to bear. You don't. And you will take yourself into situations you can't bear. But God will never take you into a circumstance that you can't bear. In Jesus' name. All right. Now, all of that, with all of that information, we come back to the prayer. Lead us not into temptation. Now, this isn't going to take that long, but just bear with me for a minute. Lead us not to temptation. The first thing we've got to do is we've got to identify what kind of temptation he's talking about here. Is he talking about the testing of my faith or the temptation of my flesh? Obviously, it's the testing of my faith because the Lord would never tempt my flesh. He told me that. Remember, we, we, we established that from James 1, verse 13. So he can't be talking about the temptation of my flesh. He's talking about the testing of my faith. He says, Lord, lead me not into the testing of my faith. But man, that raises another question. Why would I pray that? If God uses tests to work patience in my life and to perfect me and to complete me, then why would I pray, lead me not into a test? If it was there to promote me, then why would I pray, Lord, lead me not into a test? You know the answer. It's just that it's so obvious you think that, possi- that can't possibly be the answer. But it is. You know why? Who wants to go through a test? <laughs> I mean, is there anybody here that wants to go through a test? Is there anybody that wakes up every morning and says, Oh man, I can't wait to get tested today. No. Does anybody like tests that drag out for days and weeks and months and even years? Some of you are married to your test. Some of you gave birth to and are raising your test. Some of you get your paycheck every week from your tests. You know what I'm saying? Like, there are tests all the time. No one wants to go through a test. Tests are hard enough to deal with, let alone the uncertainty. I don't know if I'm going to make it. And I don't want to fail. I don't want to grieve the heart of God. So he said, it's all right to pray. Lord, lead me not into a test. Lead me not into a trial of my faith. But then comes the last request. But deliver us 
from evil. So what's implied there is that there is a settling within the heart of the believer that sometimes tests are required. But if it is required, then Lord, I'm asking that you deliver me from evil. Now what's interesting is that in some translations it says evil, others say evil one. In fact, the New King James Version, the version I like, it says evil one. The truth is it can go either way. Either way is possible, and no one knows for sure which Jesus had in mind. Was it evil in general or the evil one specifically? Here's the thing. Whenever I see it like that, I don't think it's either or. I think it's both. You could say it this way, but deliver us from the evil intention of the evil one. What is the evil intention of the evil one? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. So what Jesus is saying here, okay, just takes a little investigation. When he said, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil, he was saying, Lord, if it's any way, lead me out of temptation today. Lead me out of testing. Because I don't want to go through it. And I don't, I don't want to fail you. But if a test is required of me today, then I would just ask that you would deliver me from the evil intentions of the evil one who has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what he's saying. Now, what I want to leave you with is this in action. Because believe it or not, Jesus prayed that prayer one day. It was in the night that he was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Some of you already know it. Matthew 26 and verse 39. He went a little farther and he fell on his face. And he prayed saying, Oh my Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Hmm. Did you hear it? Oh my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Lead us not into temptation. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. There, there is a submission to the fact that it was necessary. So now I just ask that you deliver me from the evil intentions of the evil one. You know, Jesus prayed, and you know I love the theatrics. But this is what Jesus was praying that night. This is Father. I've come to the final test. For 33 and a half years, you have been faithful. We've overcome. But now I've come to the final test. In a matter of hours, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be turned over to the hands of evil men and evil leaders. They're going to beat me. They're going to scourge me. They're going to do everything they can to kill me before I even get to the cross. Eventually, I am going to be nailed to the cross, and I am going to die. But, Father, I'm not afraid of dying. I'm not afraid of scourging. I'm not afraid of what man may do to me. But there is one thing that deeply troubles me. That is, I know that in order for an atonement or a covering for sin to be made, I will have to become sin for them. And even though it will not be my sin, there still will be sin placed upon me. And that means that at one moment, you are going to have to turn your face from me. And for the first time in my eternal existence... I'm going to experience separation from you. And Father, that's more than I can bear. I don't want to be separated from you. It frightens me. It scares me. I don't want to feel isolation from your presence because I treasure your presence more than anything else. And so, Father, I'm begging you, 
if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. Lead me not into this test. Lead me not into this moment of trial. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And so if this test is required, then I only ask that you deliver me from the evil intention of the evil one and that I would overcome. And on the third day, he overcame. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And Jesus taught us to pray that way. He says, when you pray, you come to the Father and say, Father, here we are. It's Monday morning. And I'm going to be tested. I'm going to barely hit the road this morning before my first test is going to come. I know. I'm going to be tested in so many ways. And I don't want to be tested. Because I don't know how it's going to end. And I don't know what it's going to involve So I'm asking, Lord, if there's any way, lead me away from temptation. Lead me away from the testing of my faith. Nevertheless, it's your will that has to be done, not mine. So if a test is required of me, if I'm required to go through this season of testing, then all I ask is that you would deliver me from the evil intentions of the evil one. He's come to steal, to kill, and destroy. He's lurking in the shadows of this test to tempt my flesh. But Lord, greater are you in me than he that is in this world. And I want to trust you. Deliver me from evil and from his evil intention that I might overcome and please you in Jesus' name. That's how we fight our battles. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. I like to have every head bowed, every eye closed. You know, here's what I want. Someone once said, there's only three kinds of people in the world, or three, belie- three different kinds of believers, I could say it that way. Those who are in a test, those who just came out of a test, and those who are about to go into a test. Okay. There is no shame here today. I'd like to have every, everyone stand here right now. Heads are still bowed. Eyes are still closed. But I just would like everyone to stand to their feet here today. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. There's no shame. We're all family here. What I would love is for everyone right now that is in a trial. Your faith is being tested. It doesn't matter, it's between you and the Lord what it is, but you are in a test right now. I want you just to step out of your chair, and would you come and just stand here at the front? We're just going to pray with you here today. Just come. Don't, don't worry.